Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. First practice question we have for this class is from me. Which of the following conditions would most likely result in an elevated albumin? We have dehydration, cirrhosis, inadequate protein intake, and stage four pressure injury. So with this one, right away, you want to be thinking, okay, albumin, albumin, what do I know about albumin? When, and then noticing, is it talking about high or low? This is talking about high. So we know that high values tend to be when there's dehydration for albumin. So this would be A. Remember, cirrhosis would cause low because it's the liver's the factory that makes the albumin. So if the liver's damaged, the albumin's gonna be low. Also, if there's inflammation, albumin's gonna be low. Inadequate protein intake, well, albumin is a protein, so inadequate protein intake not going to be high albumin. It's going to be low. And then a pressure injury would cause low albumin because of the inflammation. You would have a rising CRP, right, C-reactive protein. And then that would cause your albumin to decrease because you're going to have with albumin, it's an acute phase hepatic response and it's going to decrease with inflammation. So make sure you know, you know your labs. Next one, we have a question where it's saying, what is the estimated energy requirement for a full-term healthy four-month-old infant? That is going to be 14 pounds. And so the student who asked this question was saying, this type of question gets really confusing because there's different sources that are saying, okay, 10, you know, for zero to six months old, it's going to be um, 100 to 115 kilograms, um, not kilograms, calories per kilogram. But she said sometimes she could be seeing different ones. So when it comes to the pediatric nutrition requirements, always, you know, you're going to see, depending on what resource you're using, you're going to be seeing a few different ranges for the zero to six. And so sometimes you kind of see a blanket range you know, a blanket amount of like 500 to 600 calories. But always one of the best things that you can be doing is doing weight-based because babies are very, very different weights, right? So like even when they're the same age, like my little nephew, he just turned seven months. We'll pretend he's six months for his question. He's a chunker. He's 99th percentile. So you know, he, you know, compared to like his little baby friends who are the same age and they're teenies, right? He needs a lot, a lot more calories. So always, always the best thing to be doing with these questions is for sure to be doing weight for um, doing weight based equations too. So like calories per kg um, would be ideal. Typically hitting, you know, kind of as a blanket rule not blanket rule, but like, you know, as a rule of thumb for when you're not sure, doing like 100 calories per kg 
for it, an infant under six months is usually, you know, going to get you at least close to an answer. So if we convert 14 pounds divided by 2.2 to get kilograms, 6.3, 6.36, and then do, you know, let's do that times 100 calories per kg. That's going to be giving us 636 as our answer there. So again, you can kind of see, you know, what it, you know, what it looks like. You are going to see, you know, some other um, different equations too. So like in, if you guys are in my pediatrics course or signature course, I also include this really great Nestle nutrition guide too that I probably have posted to the page. So definitely do a search for pediatric um, but if not, you can always email me, DanaJFryerNutrition at gmail.com, and I'm always happy to send you any of these resources that I find helpful. And if you look at their equations for four to six months, they're going to be saying use 89 times the weight in kilograms minus 100 plus 56. So again, there's lots of different ways to be doing it. I would say, you know, these equations are that I'm talking about with, you know, the Nestle resource, they're very age specific. So it's like, if you're going to do those ones, you need to, you know, remember, well, what am I minusing and adding with 100? It can get confusing. So that's why kind of doing the calories per kg is the easiest one to do. Kind of sim similar to, similar to adults. How like we could do like Mifflin, we could do Harris Benedict, we could do Penn State, but, you know, focus on kind of what's going to help you the most on the exam. Okay, next one we have is a math one. So get the calculators out. What is the cost of turkey breast um, that needs to be purchased if the yield is 20% and the EP is $10? So what we're thinking about here, right, is so always when we're thinking about percent yield and um, think about percent yield and EP, AP. I always like to start out with my base equation where I'm saying AP, you know, times percent yield is going to be equal to the EP. So this one a student put in, so it's, you know, when we're thinking about EP, EP would typically be a weight. So this question in itself is, you know, missing a few things. So let's let's switch it up for one that would kind of make sense. So if we say, what is the cost of turkey breasts to be purchased if percent yield is 20% and let's say, you know, our EP, you know, is we need, right, 10 pounds, let's say, and then we would need to know the cost of this. So let, let's say it's $1.99 per pound. So if we're thinking about that, I would set in my equation, AP, right, as purchased, times 0.2 equals 10 pounds. So with this one, I would divide 10 divided by 0.2. And that would tell me I would need to buy 50 pounds of meat to get 10 pounds if the yield was 20%. And then times that times 1.99 to say that would cost me $99.50. So with this question, remember, sometimes you're seeing questions like this online, which is why it's great that we talk about it, that are not complete questions, too, which can definitely be 
a tricky part too. So never be afraid to kind of plug in additional numbers too. And again, when in doubt, throw it up on the page so that um, we can be we can be talking about it too. Okay. Next question we have is um, a student saying, "Could anyone explain why the ear right that estimated average requirement?" is the right answer on this one and not the RDA. I was thinking that this is what the students said. I was thinking the RDA is because it's 98% of what the population needs. So here's the question. It looks like it is off pocket prep. So which of the following is the best used to assess a population's nutrient adequacy? So this is a great question because this student is absolutely right where we're saying okay yeah the RDA right is going to be the really the major the majority needs of the population because it's going to be 90 you know 98 percent of what the population needs but one of the things to think about is how do we use each one right so kind of as as a base level we're thinking okay RDA is going to be 98% of what the population means, meaning that if I, let's say, just to put in numbers, that the RDA is 100 milligrams. What that means is that if I gave 100 milligrams to the population, it would at least meet, potentially exceed, but meet the needs for 98% of the population. But when we're thinking about the ear, Right. What that is saying is that would, you know, meet or exceed the needs for at least 50% of the population. So when we're thinking about, well, how would we use it? It depends. Are you thinking about group or you think about individual? So if you're thinking about an individual for the RDA, we say eat this amount. But if you're talking about a group, we would want to be using the ear, but also kind of looking, using that in conjunction with, you know, their typical intake needs for the specific population, because the issue is their needs are probably so varying. So it would be better to use the ear for a group and the RDA for an individual. So definitely a confusing one. And that's the type of question too, that again, is perfect to ask on the Facebook page, because if you're doing a question and then you're leaving the question, you're like, Dana, I, like, I feel like I knew the answer to this. Like, why am I, you know, why am I getting this one wrong? That's when, you know, it's a great one to ask about so that we can be, um, so that we can be talking about that for sure. Okay. Next one we have is from a student who is saying, this is a pocket prep question. And I just did my math a little bit differently, but got the same answer. Is that okay? So the thing to remember with the math is there's lots of different ways that you can kind of move around in the math to get the answer. And you guys are going to notice this even if you take one of my math classes because there's many different ways to get there. There's a difference, though, between we're doing a question together and you're like, doo, 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 doo. oh, I did those same steps, slightly different order, got the same answer. And you do the question different steps and you're like, ooh, I don't really know how I got here, um, but it worked out. 
if you're getting math questions correct and you're doing the second pathway of like, I don't really know how I got here, but I divided and multiplied and it worked out, Dana. No, that's when you are probably just getting lucky. And again, there's nothing wrong with if you do a different order of steps than me. I just don't want you to be getting lucky on some of the math and then trying to replicate that. And then all of a sudden, the stars do not align. So here's the question that the student said. And we can kind of look at how Pocket Prep said it and then what she did. Um, and then I'll see what we do too. So reviewing a patient's chart, you see that they are receiving a 30 milliliter per hour profile chip. How many calories would this provide in a day? So this is how I would go about it. Right, we're always going to keep my units tight and get it right. You guys know that by now. So 30 milliliters per hour. Remember, unless it tells us otherwise, it's 24 hours in a day. So 30 milliliters per hour times 24 is not 720 calories. That's 720 milliliters. That's why you want to keep your units tight on this. Times 1.1 calories per milliliter. And that's going to give you 7 192 and that's how this student did it herself and then pocket prep is saying multiply first 30 milliliters times 1.1 calories per milliliter and then do the same math so again this is a great example where it's slightly it's the same steps it just is slightly different order right you weren't like multiply times 10 and you know Jesus take the wheel so again if and this is something you're going to have to do a self-assessment on because only you are going to be able to really critically look at what you're doing and going you know what Dana I am just guessing I've been getting really lucky um you know and that's how I'm and that's how I'm getting it too okay um, then the next one we have is from a student who's asking a super common kind of study related question. She's saying, I'm taking my exam next week. I, um, was curious of, you know, using both pocket prep and visual veggies, what, and Inman, what should you be scoring on the questions? So this is something I get asked all the time. And don't forget that there's a whole podcast episode um, about that. I can't remember which episode it is, but it's definitely probably early on. I'd say close to episode 25 if you're looking, but I wanted to talk about it again here because it's an important thing to be looking up. So a lot of the mistake I see when people are like, oh, what score should I be getting on pocket prep? Is they're applying, you know, kind of what we're thinking about it to talking about, you know, like, oh, the quick 10 or like a little practice question set. When we're talking about kind of the typical scores, I want to be seeing on everything um, before your exam. I'm talking about either at least 100 questions plus, or I'm talking about a full-length practice exam, depending on what they have it on. And this is where I want you kind of like a week out on your exams. So for the Inman, they are... Inman is great. You guys will hear me say that all the time. If you got it through, through from school, use it. The questions, though, number one, they're the easiest ones. They tend to be a little bit more straightforward. Number two, there's no explanation. So it's hard because when you go you go back to study, it's a lot of a lot of legwork. So with Inman questions, if you're doing 
a practice exam. Remember, a practice exam on image shouldn't just be like, oh, I did 100 domain one questions. It should be, you know, kind of mixing it, mixing it up. I usually say doing like 25 domain one, you know, 50 of domain two, and then three and four are combined. So doing, um, you know, like 50 on there too, just to kind of get a little bit of the balance you should be scoring around a 90%. And again, this is for like the week before your exam, you're ready to go. If you're doing the CDR test, they are a lot higher, um, not higher, harder. Um, so usually I say on the exam, 75% tends to be where people pass. On pocket prep, they're kind of like medium range. If you are talking about, because it's very different on pocket prep, whether you're talking about doing like a fake practice exam with the questions versus beta exams. If you're talking about Dana, I did, you know, 125 questions, all domains. I want you around an 80% on pocket prep to feel, you know, good about you taking the exam. Now the beta, no, it's not beta anymore. Now they have three real practice exams out. These are really hard. I think the community average recently was like a 54 I would say for my students that are passing the exam, they're getting like high 60s on them. They are very, very hard and they have a lot of questions that are like, wow, I've never seen this before. And my one-on-one -on -one students know my thoughts, my all my thoughts about them. But I did a whole podcast episode a few episodes ago about the pocket prep exams because you have to treat them differently than when you're doing pocket prep questions. So that's what I would kind of be thinking about when you're, you know, if you're thinking like, Dana, my exam's in a week, how should I be scoring? Now, those are kind of just typical averages of where I personally like my students to be and where I see them have the highest rates of success passing the exam. Does that mean that you cannot pass the exam with a lower score? No. Because I always like to tell my students that your actual exam is your final practice exam. So let's say that you were scoring, you know, like 10% lower where you should be. But you spent that whole week before plowing away, you know, really working hard, working on the trouble areas, working on your testing skills. You can get up to the point where you need to be. And I work with students all the time and get their scores to jump up exactly where they need to be. So don't let that discourage you, but that's why you need to be really objective with yourself and saying, you know, what was my starting score? Have my scores been improving every week? Because if you're plateauing, that's when you need to be, you know, kind of mixing in a little bit more. So it's a hard question and, you know, that's why we don't talk about it, you know, too, too much. And you'll hear me kind of give blanket answers because it's very, you know, different depending on the student too. Um, so that's why it's definitely helpful too for like my students in my signature course and my one-on-one -on -one students and my, you know, monthly group students. I have them do my own exams that are included in the program so that I can kind of, you know, benchmark them against all of my, all of my data sets too. But again, a good question to think of. And definitely if you haven't already, a lot of the earlier episodes of the podcast our um, study tip episodes too, where a lot of these questions are answered.
Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.